The Glue Guys is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute ticket. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they are <laughs> they are able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. This home game, I hope you all were able to go to the Heat home game on a, a Sunday 3 o'clock tip. Exciting game, demoralizing, uh, and stings a little bit because it'll be another week before the Nets are home. But when the Nets are back home, another 3 o'clock tip, Sunday 3 p.m., the Denver Nuggets. The dreaded Denver Nuggets. Um, and then another home game on Wednesday against the Hornets, which is maybe the more appropriate game to go to because you're almost guaranteed a win at that point. And Brian, you here with me, buddy? Is this still mad? <laughs> Brian, yeah. how do you get into the building if you want to get in for the lowest price possible, but for the best seats possible? I'll tell you. I'll tell you oh, the answer. Please. It's the Game Time app. It is simple, quick easy to navigate download the game time app in the google play or app store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60 percent off Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike. Say hello, Brian. Hello. <laughs> that, was in, that was one of your better hellos. Oh, thank you. In recent memory. Um, at BK Glue let, Guys. Oh, sorry. I don't <laughs> let wins or losses get you know in the way of a good hello. Okay, Mike. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, I try to be dramatic, and I, I'm yeah. not. I'm not a, that great of an actor, so I don't really sell it as well. And I think you do the proper thing. Which is, and I'll link it back to this. I just watched Hustlers last night, the the Jennifer Lopez stripper movie that came nice. out this year. Nice. And I think the the charm of that movie, I'll give it a B. It's a B, a solid B. Is that the direct generous? I would think, right? I, no, I mean the movie's gotten like buzz, not Oscar buzz, but like it's gotten buzz. Um, and they're trying to make Jennifer Lopez a Best Actress nominee, which. It's kind of crazy, but the charm of the movie is that they let J-Lo be J-Lo and they let like all the other actresses be basically be themselves. And you are, you would fit right in with that crew because you brought your same energy to that. Hello, that the Nets did not bring to this heat game. That Brian brings us to today's sponsor, the film the Hustlers. Hustlers. The <laughs> four-year consideration campaign yeah. for Hustlers. Um, how about that? We, we're just oh, fresh off of people listening on the pod when it comes out <laughs> tomorrow. If you're not listening um, tomorrow, or you could be listening today on twitch.tv forward slash glue guys. Um, so that could be going on. Or you could be following us on Twitter at BKGlueGuys.com. <laughs> <laughs> the Athletic. Plug. Um, yeah. also iTunes five stars we need and we want to have to have him Brian I mean what oh god so here's what I was just saying on the thing for like up until obviously closing time 
Um, oh God, Mike, <laughs> Michael, <laughs> it was good, and we would have looked back at this game and Friday's win against Boston as the two like pivotal wins of the season to this point. Um, For sure, they, we have sort of in those two games had a still got our groove back, kind of finding our <laughs> grittiness. Where 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 did we leave it? We left it somewhere last in the last uh, month, um, but. Um, so I'm not going to let the like the fact that we actually pooped the bed and and lost that game get in the way of generally feeling pretty optimistic about the direction of the team right now. I I know that that's not doesn't put another W in our win column. I get that, but that's why I I can you know I'm just trying to be optimistic here because there's a lot to be appreciative of. We're still terribly depleted. Let's keep that in the forefront of our minds, and we're competing with the two best team or some of the best teams in the East. Not too best, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such. Oh, a, you're giving me. You're gonna. Oh boy. No, it, no, I'm I'm agreeing with you, and but I'm saying it's such a weird thing to be talking about this team because I think we all know, all of us out here in Nets Nation, understand the fact that like this team is not the team that should be there at the end of April or whenever the playoffs begin. We all understand that at the very least, what you're going to have is Karis LeVert and Kyrie Irving. You hope plus Spencer Dinwiddie and everyone else with the team. So, like, like it does feel like an achievement to have taken the heat to that, you know, gotten to that point in the game where it felt like it was pretty assured that they were going to beat the Heat, which, as you're saying, would have been the best two wins of the season, particularly coming on the same weekend after the tryptophan hangover that we all have uh, after Thanksgiving. But um, they completely crap the bed against the heat and it's still tough to get over the fact even though we know that like just showing that this depleted roster can compete with the Miami Heat who have been very good this season is a victory in of itself where the Nets were at that game where it felt so assured like the and it's not even that it's that they they just they they slow played the ball, which almost never works in the NBA. The only way, way you can do that is if you're up like 15 with two minutes left, not with like seven points of two minutes left. They kept letting the Heat go to the free throw line. The Nets kept making mistakes, though I will say Joe Harris had an open look at three, and he misses it. And Spencer Dinwiddie shot before the final shot of the game from him, the one where he is driving into the lane and almost gets a layup. It was a pretty good shot. So it's not like they, you know, at the end of the game, they did have a chance to to win it or to tie it or whatever else. Uh, they couldn't get it done. It it, um, oh, it is your, would have been awesome. Your boy, Marshall's Orange Hat, says, I understand we are depleted, but we need to execute. We're, we were playing not to win, but to not lose. And that generally feels true of any time that we have a lead at all. I was wondering this, too. If anyone does any statistics on this, if, if anyone in chat is some stats, AP stats wizard or something. Um, I would like to know whether like the nets are abnormally streaky, <clears throat> like um, consecutive points on and consecutive points off, or at least allowing consecutive points. Um, <laughs> not, not even does, scoring them. Not even scoring. Them. That would just, that would be, that would prove enough of my point because it does feel like this is the team that this is a team that can lose a lead faster than me. Maybe any other basketball team in the league right now. It's just like, it just poofs. It just falls right out of our hand. Well, and this one was, uh, not completely unusual to the the previous times all throughout the season, but like this one was distinct in that they the Nets completely stopped not trying, 
But as you said, they, they were playing not to lose. They they weren't playing to win. That's not me. That's Marshall's or in chat, bro. Okay. Oh, that's God. not that's not my take. Do you I was wanna... so ready to celebrate, have such a happy pod. I was getting I was getting, I have my wow. if you if you're on Twitch, I have my my sparkling lime spring water. I was wow, this my pop open a bottle of that. <laughs> my victory <laughs> Sunday night. You I've been for the top shelf. I've been celebrating this for decades. And I've been, I, I was so excited. I was going to shake it up and spray it all over myself in victory. Um, but now I'm just drinking it. Um, and aging seltzer water is, is not actually. You should advisable. spray it all over yourself for the stream. That would be nice. That'd get everyone going. Um, do you want to do some observations, some closer observations? Yeah. So is there anything, well, is there anything that comes to mind for you, first off, before we dig into myself? Um, so I'm kind of like packaging these two games together, well, the last three games together. Um, in the course of these observations. So keep that in mind because there's they're interrelated, okay? This is very five-head basketball, <laughs> 5D chess, okay? Yes. You understand? So <laughs> first first one, and I, you know I take no joy in... And in belittling Theo Pinson in any in any oh, way I because yeah. I do really enjoy what he does. Yes, in life, in this life that we share together, we exist on the same planet at the same time, and I'm and I'm happy about that. Yes, um, I'll put it like this: I was really pleased to see that in the second game against Boston, Musa they gave Musa they they didn't allow him to take the ball up the court, but he at least was like put in a decision making position to just like the just to the strong side of the three-point line in the arc. Um, and when they were sharing, the, when Theo Pinson was on the court together, he was basically taken away from that position of getting, giving him the ball, letting him dribble at the top of the key. Um, that's like been taken off the table, which is, I think, the correct thing to do. We have to stop pretending like he can make anything good happen from that position on the court. He really can't. And it's, it's <laughs> I'm not saying that, 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 that brings me any happiness. It's another thing to say, it's like, you know, uh, you would pre- preferably you would want a playmaking second point guard or whatever, but like Shabazz Napier wasn't that right. He was like pretty much a dude who's just going to ditch it off um, to a wing player like pretty quickly. His dribble drive wasn't noteworthy. So like we can all be like, oh, we need another point guard, whatever. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. We never. I think those are harder to come by than people. Like a, a second guy off the bench that can break down his his man and make something happen. We've been a little bit. Um, spoiled by Spencer Dinwiddie's infinite rise. I mean, seemingly, right? I mean, the guy's got nothing. No, he just continues to go up. Yeah. And, and and so, like, so I think the place where you have to dig for another point guard, if you're going to, is, like, the China route, if, like, another Ty Lawson type is out there. And I don't, I don't know. I was <laughs> I was looking through G League stats today, Brian. I was digging into <laughs> nice. who was, like, busy, a leading scorer in the G League. Yeah. Huh? And, Busy day, yeah. Yeah, and looking into three-point percentage and field goal attempts per game, not a lot. There's not really a James Harden-esque type player in the G League at the moment, I can tell you that. Um, and so what I've been interested in to see is that the criticism from Nets Twitter of this team recently before um, beating Boston and then, of course, almost beating the Heat was – depth issues right and of course we all understand that it's do have some depth issues but the current depth issues are are being forced upon them by injury and the problem that they're experiencing now we're talking about the ball handler issue do you need the shabazz napier you hope not that much longer you seem to like we should be caring about that right like we think pretty soon Kyrie Irving is going to play basketball for the Nets and once he does 
whether Spencer Dinwiddie's starting next to him, which is a question I want to get to later, or Dinwiddie goes back to the bench and is running the second unit. No, pretty much no matter what, you're gonna have one of those two guys on the on the court at, on you know at either time. And this issue of having Theo Pinson as your bench unit ball handler or John and Musa as your bench unit ball handler, it's gonna melt away. Once and then once we get Karis LeVert back, this issue of having a ball handler on the floor is all gonna melt away, and that issue won't persist. And mm. and again, we can all cite the stats, you know, it's like kind of like if the Nets had beaten the Heat, by the way, I think the uh, the uh, lame argument of are the Nets better without Kyrie would have gotten louder, and that probably wouldn't have been a good thing for the Nets. Oh, wow. That's well, a spicy take. Hey, Dirty Jerry, did you hear that spicy take? <laughs> well, be- <laughs> because it's like this is a thing that's fomenting out there in the far reaches of the galaxy at the moment. Are the Nets better without Kyrie? Because it seems like all people want to do is try to figure out a way to create negative storylines around our buddy Kyrie Irving. And the Nets have been playing more winning basketball without Kyrie. And if they had beaten the Heat and you come off of a weekend where you beat the Celtics and the Heat, then without Kyrie Irving, then it becomes, maybe the Nets are better without Kyrie. What are they doing better without Kyrie Irving than they were doing before? Um, You know, I actually have a spicy take. Please. I think, and this is just... By virtue of the way he was playing, not because he's, you know, not a good player. I I think that that is not super true of Kyrie Irving, but a little bit true of Karis LeVert. I hate, I think that in terms of, <laughs> I know, I know. And never, nobody's ready to hear that. Nobody's ready to hear that. <laughs> Trade but, Karis LeVert is the headline of no, Brian no. Egan Post stop. daily. You stop this. You the stop evening it. standard of you Brian You know what I'm Egan. saying, though? The, the place where I would try to look for improvement in Karis is to get back to his playmaking ways and not his breaking down his the guy that's guarding him ways. Well, and and so there's a couple of been there's been some really interesting quotes from Kenny Atkinson and Spencer Dinwiddie recently about the team overall. And one about Spencer Dinwiddie which I think is has been interesting is he, this is about Kyrie Irving. I think he said this maybe after the Boston game, the second Boston game, the one on Friday. And speaking about Kyrie, Spencer says, as great of a talent as Kyrie is, it's more so like we need to figure out how to work around what he prefers to do versus the other way around. I'm figuring out my role as it starts to shift around when everyone gets healthy. I think the question to him was, like, does Kyrie need to reinsert himself back into this winning basketball team in some way when he comes back? And Spencer's saying, no, it's actually in the long run. We all need to figure out how we play around Kyrie Irving because he's this phenomenal talent, which he is. And I totally agree with that. It's, you know, that takes a lot of foresight from Spencer Dinwiddie, who's playing as well as he's ever played in his career. He's playing that basketball right now without Kyrie Irving. And even in amidst this great player of, NBA player of the week joy that he's experiencing, the, the, the sparkling lime spring water... Uh, not an ad uh, <laughs> enjoyment that Spencer wow. did when he's having. I'm holding it up for the Twitch stream. Um, Spencer even realizes that amongst all this, all that matters is can we, when Kyrie comes back, how do we enhance what he does and how do we fit around him? Incredibly crucial. And like, so my question, I we're going to continue to hit off observations and continue to debate the heat game. But I kind of want to jump to this because it feels, it just feels like a ready moment for it. 
when Kyrie does come back, is Spencer starting at that point in your head, or is he moving back to the bench? And is Atkinson trying to kind of reset what the rotation was supposed to be? Because it, yeah, it's 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 a sticky wicket, as you would say, Brian. Um, <laughs> it is definitely it? a sticky wicket, <laughs> a sticky wicket, um, for sure. And so one of the things that I was sort of thinking about too is like, yeah, that's that's true. That's a difficult thing because it's hard to imagine. Spencer Dinwiddie getting like looking better with less usage. I think like he's just one of those rare players with just more usage, just things start to look better and better. And um, I really, at this point, like trust him to have the ball in his hands enormously. So, I mean, ideally Kyrie Irving comes back and is playing super well and everything. And, you know, in a perfect world, Spencer is just leading a second team, but then that also precludes them from playing off one another in, in interesting ways. And I mean, that's when this team goes super sane is how to fit all that stuff together. And with that in mind, I have one criticism that I'll, I'll finally levy Ooh, against Kenny gosh, Atkinson. Brian. Every every I know a this rough is a Thanksgiving for this is spicy. <laughs> I had my turkey was it was there's a dry rub on this year's turkey and it was spicy. Um, the criticism I would wager, and I'm actually going to soften the spicy. There's going to be oh. a, some mayonnaise involved. Boo. Um, <laughs> was that? I, and I've been keeping this on the DL. These I've been repressing these feelings. Um, that Kenny Atkinson generally errs on the side of quantitative analysis of basketball versus qualitative <laughs> shots fired. Don't know. <laughs> you Meaning that me. like, I, I think his, his like analytics mind, or he's like, just approaches the game and listens to all his analytics guys. Um, and does not do well with what we're going to term as feeling the game. Like this is a, this is a thing that you'll see on Twitter is people like generally being like, he can't, he has no feel of the game. He doesn't know when to substitute people. And like to a great extent, I, I, I push back on that because there's too many feel of the game type people out there and not enough, you know, quantitative people. So I, I generally like to think, <laughs> and not, not to say that I'm a quantitative person, I'm not, uh, but like we've endured uh, Lionel Hollins's feel of the game and, and PJ Carlismo's feel of the game. And that sucked. And I hated their feel of the game. So I, I've been enjoying the more quantitative approaches that being said, there's still <laughs> what are you, your face during this. I can't tell. I it, so enjoy this. This is yeah. This is delightful. That being said, Mike, yes, uh, there is times, and this was on display, I think most prominently in that first game against Boston that we lost, where um, he is trying to pace the when to put the starters back in the game. And again, we have like you know a a sort of patchwork team right now and it's hard to know you know what how many minutes to put on each guy but i think in kenny atkinson's mind when you put the starters in like you um uh you want to plan to have them in for the end of the game and that's probably quantitatively true but if you are in a position where you have a you know somewhat of a, a lead and there's it's the difference between you know, 90 seconds or something. Um, and you know, the way that our team gives up leads, feeling that out a little bit, no, feeling the vibe of, of that, that, that cresting, that, that second team cresting and, and needing some relief. You can, you can substitute in, you know, a Garrett Temple for Iman Shumpert or whoever towards the end of the game, yeah. whatever you want to be doing, you can do that later. Um, and I think that he's generally just been trying to like time things so that his starters are there for like the last minutes of the game. But you might have a better chance at winning if you have a 13 point lead with, you know, four minutes to go versus a, 
you know, you know what I'm saying, right? No, absolutely. And like, I, I've, I think everyone who's watched Nets has had that feeling of like, particularly these Nets with this bench unit, not really being that great because Spencer is now a part of the starting unit. It's like, God, the, the bench team is just immediately giving up the lead and now the other team has like a pretty sizable lead and then the starters come in and they have to dig out of a 10 point deficit within, you know, eight minutes of basketball or seven minutes of basketball. I think what this team really does need. And again, all of this is going to change when Kyrie comes back and Karis comes back and then you can kind of bridge minutes between all those three ball handlers is like they do need like a heat check. Um, like Isaiah Thomas is on the Wizards right now, like that kind of like even someone who, you know, ultimately you probably can't rely on from game to game, but you hope from like one out of every four games that they're going to have a sort of like a 16 point outburst. Amon Shumpert, who I've enjoyed somewhat early on, though, I think he cannot shoot, which is a problem. Uh, if you can't shoot in basketball, I've enjoyed him watching him on the floor and he does seem to focus on defense. But he's never going to do that. He's never going to carry a bench unit with his scoring. Musa, I have hopes for, but there he kind of like washes in and out of the lineup. We all talked about Theo Pinson. We know Theo Pinson is limited. He's a complete joy and uh, a wonderful unicorn in life. But on the basketball court, he's not that. So like this bench unit right now, they have to, everything has to be perfect for them to be even with the other team. And... And that I think what Atkinson, speaking to what you just brought up, Atkinson just does run into the fact that, like, this is a marathon and not a sprint. And he can't play Spencer Dinwiddie 38 minutes a game. Though, like, if he had done that in that first Boston game, maybe the Nets could have won it because the bench lost him that game. Um, you know, and, like, this Heat game, what happened in the Heat game was that the team kind of settled back and I think, and I'm not trying to say their intensity waned, but I do think their desperation wasn't there because they have had recent su- success beating Boston and then having beaten those bad teams before they played Boston. I don't think that if they had that desperation of like, crap, we've lost three games in a row, we really need to win this game, they would have won this game. But because I think they felt some level of satisfaction maybe not exactly on the top of their mind, but in the back of their heads, I think they kind of let them, they just let this game completely slip away. Mm. Um, Part of the reason also why you want Kyrie Irving to come back is because at the end of games, though Dinwiddie has been good, Kyrie is like top five in the NBA in finishing out a game with the ball in his hands. You know, he hasn't really done that for the Nets yet, but he is that guy. He's been that guy over his career. So, when you have Kyrie Irving back, of course, all your minutes are better that he's on the floor. But those final three minutes, he becomes a guy who can get you hit, get foul shots for you. He becomes a guy that can hit a big shot for you. He makes it so that he has the ball in his hands. So then Spencer Dinwiddie doesn't have to do everything. Um, gosh, this Heat game, Bry, Bry, Ugh, crappy. <laughs> it's so crappy. What happened? Um, Devastating. Yeah. Um, but hey, another little silver lining. Do you think David Nwaba's stock is going up? <laughs> Nwaba, the Nwaba <laughs> heads must be thrilled yeah. with his performance. The Nwaba gang, uh, yeah. not not the Andrew Yang gang, the Nwaba gang. 
We're okay. Can I give you? I'm going to give you a mix of players. I just want to see your feeling about them. Okay. Mm. David Awaba, um, Amon Shumpert, and Garrett Temple. Who on your power rankings of Nets guards? Where would you place all of those? So I think it's interesting, um, and this is where I'm, you know, calling back to. Do you remember my feel of the game thing that I was talking about a second ago? Yes. I'm going to call that back where, so I like all of them individually, like, um, but I, there seems to be a pattern forming where only one of them is allowed to like make baskets on a given night. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that goes for, um, well, I guess that's mostly for them, but also I'll throw in Torian, although he's been a little bit more consistent. Um, but I think like just cycling in whoever's actually making their shots, which it happened to be David Nwaba tonight. Cause Garrett Temple seemingly couldn't do much. Um, yeah. but he was on and Fuego two nights ago or two games ago. Um, so, so I would say that they're all sort of in my mind, equally serviceable. I like Shumpert obviously, um, for the slight defensive tenacity, but he just seems to be doing more of the right things. Like when he stabs at the ball, it's timed better and with more, effectiveness than either of those other two guys. But I, I, I also don't think he gets like, he, do, he doesn't get hot in the same way that um, Garrett Temple can. So like with, with small adjustments on each of their like rating, whatever or their 2k ratings, they're pretty similar. Um, I mean, but as of right now, you know, I went into the season being sus- suspicious of Garrett Temple and his desire to do more. And that's still a little bit true, um, but to an increasingly less extent. I'll tell you who uh, my favorite of those three guards is at. But first, Brian, question for you. Please. Have you ever wondered how to get the hottest new sneakers? You know, I'm I'm talking about the ones that barely hit the shelves. You know, all the time when we talk about shelves, you know, like they're when you go into a store, there's like a series of like levels. What is this? Of which of which the shoes are placed. Those are the shelves. Okay. And. Sometimes when a shoe is very popular, they they touch the shelves and immediately someone pulls them off. That's Got how it. hot these sneakers are. But if you want those sneakers that barely hit the shelves, the answer, the place to go is StockX, a revolutionary nice. new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Um, there are so many different types of shoes to get on StockX. The fun thing is the nostalgia trip of it all. Like you can dig deep into the archives and be like, I want those shacks, you know, when the shack shoe came out. The shack gnosis. You can dig deep into the archives and be like, I want those shoes that I remember when I was eight years old. A guy three years older than me in school had those shoes. Now I want them. I have my own credit card. I have my own credit line. I can go buy those shoes. I don't need to go to my parents to get my shoes. I can go to StockX with my own money, Brian, and buy those shoes. So here's what you can do. Want in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around for long at StockX.com slash bball. Check it out today. Gorgeous. Um, The guard I enjoy the most is still Garrett Temple, and of course that's the obvious choice. It's like, you know, he gets the most minutes, and... You know, we, everyone talks about his fantastic personality, and I almost want to become an athlete. Well, let me, <laughs> if I if I was a player on the Nets, do you think people would describe me as having a fantastic personality, Brian? Or do you think 
locker room issues moody would be more like more more like locker room issues. Yeah. <laughs> I mean if I love you don't get me wrong <laughs> but if I'm being honest oh god what a, what a mind trip and we'll talk about the Kyrie I, I, we'll talk about the Kyrie Instagram post though I don't really I don't really ultimately care all that much because it, I, I noticed that you didn't care and I am I mean it's also I don't care either not like because of what he said is interesting or whatever but in general it sparked a lot of interesting thoughts and just about like he, I mean he's trying to say something interesting but ultimately failing to I think um but there's something there right this like he like I, I imagine as a yes. <laughs> as an arts He's trying to make the argument that like basketball is an art form or something. There's like a lot to it, but you know, I don't think me or he is really equipped to, to, <laughs> to <laughs> me or really he. Unpack. Yeah, I think as that you can tell, this yeah. is so. You and I have become sort of scholars <laughs> on Kyrie, analyzing some of his interviews. Uh, me analyzing his Instagram posts for a very long time now. Ever since it became clear that Kyrie was going to come to the Nets, he's you know when you log on to Instagram, they show you the immediate stories that you can have. Those are the people that you seem to click on the most. Kyrie is the person I click on the most at this point, really? so I get his stories immediately in my feed. Um, the thing about Kyrie is that he can often talk for a long period of time, let's say five minutes, and he can have. He can say like four different very interesting points, but then when you line them up together, they can often conflict with one reality or even what he said within that five-minute span. I'm thinking specifically of that now the infamous sort of spiel that he had last season when he was on the Celtics talking about um, how he apologized to LeBron for how he acted in Cleveland because – he realizes now as a veteran what it's like to play with young players who want this or that. And mm. on one end, it's like, oh, well, look at that sort of understanding of his own self. He apologized for past behavior to someone who he had obvious conflict with, though, with also great success. But on the other hand, what he's basically did, and everyone knows this, is that he basically threw Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum under the bus by saying like, He's saying, I have reformed my ways because I remember what it was like to be a young player and be kind of foolhardy. Um, by saying that, he's saying those two guys will are, at the time, foolhardy. So the thing about the Kyrie post is basically like there's a lot to dig into it. Well, and I think – I mean like it's more – I mean not to cut you off. I'm please. sorry. But it's more, more than that. I mean obviously it's about sp- – sp- He's specifically talking to like the Boston fans booing him, right? I mean, like that's that's of course. probably what you can take away from this. And um, it is interesting that that is the reaction that was felt because ultimately, you know, Kyrie didn't. I mean, sure, it was like a little bit of a messy breakup, but in the grand scheme of, of breakups, it was probably a pretty like neat, clean break. He didn't, you know, they didn't give up much for him, and he didn't ask to be traded there specifically, and it wasn't any kind of like. You know, it wasn't a, a hairy divorce or anything, or, or it shouldn't have been. And it ended up being that way because, like, Boston is this tiny, weird town where they <laughs> are, like, super butthurt all the time. And, and that's on them. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's that's me. Uh, that's my own biases. Um, but he's getting at something which is interesting, which is, like, <laughs> so I've been reading. I love how you just monitored yourself. You're like, I don't want to I don't want to destroy a whole yeah. city. Yeah. Um, I understand that. But I've been reading uh, this book, The Breaks of the Game. Are you familiar with this book? Yes, sir. Wow. Did you, did you read that one? Yeah. Delightful. Yeah, I never got around to it. I'm reading it now. And it's interesting because it's the, it feels like the same conversation we, we have today. 
um, but it's about, you know, the first sort of cash infusion in basketball in the early 70s and all of the arguments about what it does to the game, you know, the the competition of the game and all this. And suddenly, you know, it went from being like a pretty like a pretty bad way to make a living to a really good way to make a living. Um, and all of all of the criticisms from like the old heads were about like it's not comp competitive anymore it's lost that whatever it was that was like you know made a hobbyist give up his life and like be like a carny basically on the road like none of those all of those incentives are gone and now it's just like um for wealthy people or, or like to get rich off of and um i feel like that's an argument that's still being made today like there's still that's still part of it right and what Kyrie is is talking to doesn't address that part of it maybe right it's just sort of this expectation that the fans should you know, desensitize themselves to what they're seeing, whatever. But that's also part of the entertainment, right? There, it's a th- it's a theater of you know, it's like gladiatorial like Rome or whatever, and they're like wanting to give Absolutely. you the big thumbs down, <laughs> you know, toying with some actual human being's life in a very different way, but you know, on the same spectrum. It's just my whole thing with Kyrie at this point is I all I care about is success on the court in terms of like I think the entire focus. Really, you don't really believe that, do you? What do you mean? I think what's interesting about basketball players is not – I mean, like, yeah, the, like, what's, what I think is so compelling about basketball is not just the on-court product. It's about how the personality is projected onto the on-court product, right? It's a whole, the whole sort of cultural intersection there. Yeah, what I mean is that, like – okay, I'm not going to get anxiety-ridden over a post like this, nor, nor – I'm not even saying that that's the appropriate reaction to that. What I'm saying is that, like – We've all. Un- I feel like we all should understand who Kyrie is as a person. He's a person who makes deeply contemplative posts on Instagram, where he takes all the time to type that on on Instagram, which is not that much fun. And if you know anything about Instagram, uh, not an ad for Instagram. Um, he at the end decided to make the the biggest of bold font life. That's that's a, a stylistic choice that he went to. That means he probably did two separate comments to do that. I know the skills and knowledge, but I'm just saying it's like. If you're going in expecting Kyrie Irving to be, um, I don't know, who's like like Newt Rockney. I don't know, like who's the classic sort of gung-ho leader of men in sports. He's not that. He's a person who has many feelings and many thoughts about things and ends up loving to share them, even at times where maybe you would advise him not to. Like something like this, ultimately, to share this long post after a game that – his name was continually brought up by an opposing fan base saying he sucks and all that stuff. Like really the advice, if I was his best friend, would be like, dude, just don't say anything because they're all, all these people in Boston, those 18,000 people that were in the arena, they're just going to move on with their lives anyways. And no one will remember it by, but by posting that you're going to sort of keep that anger alive or the, the joy that these people get from having this anger for me, as a person who watches the nets, I'm just like, Kyrie can say whatever he wants on Instagram. He can do whatever he wants. I am from the Kevin Durant school of thinking about this, which is like... <laughs> of, of shit posting on Twitter. No, well, I do love how Kevin Durant... <laughs> you actually, shit post on Twitter instead of Instagram. Actually, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's where you go. Yeah, because yeah. uh, Durant's like of the older generation, if you're going to compare right. the two. And right. Twitter matters more for people like us um, than... That's exactly right. ...the Instagram generation. But, so I do love that Durant... Well, there's a sub thing out of that which is like it's pretty awesome that Durant's like 
jumping in and defending his guy Kyrie. If you didn't see it, someone from Barstool, I think, tweeted about this Kyrie Instagram post. Someone from like Barstool Boston or whatever. And Kevin Durant jumped in on Twitter and said, seek help, King, or something like basically like saying like, dude, you need help. Um, mm. Which is great. You you kind of do love seek to see help, that. King. Seek help, King. I think that's what he said. Mm. But cutting not to, I know. savage, uh, <laughs> savage AF. I talked enough about this. Basically, it's like well, here's here's the, the thing. The, I think... the, the, the one thing the Kevin Durant okay. school of Kyrie Irving is this: the guy is quote unquote an artist. Leave him alone, and when he shows up at the basketball court at Barclays or whatever arena it is in the NBA. He's going to do, quote, do his thing. Okay. So <laughs> quotes are flying. Don't just let him do his thing. Like if he feels whatever he feels before the game, whether it's to feel like he wants to be isolated or actually if he wants to just talk basketball with everyone on the team and like be super happy. Great. But once, once the lights are on, even though lights are always on in an arena, no big deal. Just let Kyrie do his thing. That's all. Like, don't worry about it. Don't. Don't get dragged into maybe that's kind of what Kyrie's talking about. Just don't get dragged into the emotions. Let I feel like I feel like we're gonna I'm gonna make a long form like YouTube video essay use it, like with the Kyrie Irving Instagram thing as the catalyst, the inciting incident <laughs> for this two part conversation. Ready? The first one. I'll ask this of you. Yes. Is one is basketball an art? Is it an art form? Yes. Okay. Two. Can art and money coexist? Yes. Wow. It can. It, it right. in fact, We're, this is, this is going down. We're going to make this video. It, that's that's going to be our, our narrative driven YouTube content that we've been thought, thinking about for the most part, art, art needs money. And also this, again, yeah. just to point this out, love Kyrie Irving, great guy, you know, whatever, whatever. He is the guy who made the uncle drew movie. So let's like, you know, I mean, we're talking about artist, art and entertainment. Maybe, maybe like, don't yeah. be the guy who makes the uncle drew movie. If you're going to be like all about like how basketball's art, it's art and, and entertainment. What are you talking about? But but Kyrie's it, arguing the movie. Like, does it actually? We'll have to put Uncle Drew on the movies to watch list. By the way, yeah, do we they are make fun of basketball in that movie. Um, no, but it's like if you're to be the guy who makes a purely entertainment product about basketball, you should also understand that. I mean, the it is entertainment. Like the whole thing. I mean, ESPN literally the first e, the thing the first letter in ESPN is entertainment in sports. Public network? How about, how about this? Yes, sir. Your boy Lionel Damien one just says, agree with Brian. So boom, <laughs> roasted, get the caskets. We're bearing Mike. You know, Brian. No. <laughs> really? Yeah. One more. <laughs> Weekends are made for football. And with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better, Brian. It can accelerate it from a good to great. That's what DraftKings Sportsbook app can do. Actually, now that I think about it, with all the hoops and hockey action going on right now, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. With so much going on this week, they have a great promotion running every day. From odds boosts to free bets, DraftKings has it all. DraftKings Sportsbook is so easy to use. You can deposit, you can deposit, place your bets, and withdraw in a matter of seconds. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook will give new users a free bet just for signing up. Download the DraftKings app now and use code QUICK. For a limited time, all new users can get a free bet on sign-up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk 
risk-free bet up to $500. Let me say that again. You can get a risk-free bet up to $500. That's code QUICK to place your first bet. You can get a risk-free bet up to $500 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Nice. Mike, your boy Captain Marvelous 33 says, how long do you reckon it will be until Kyrie and Levert return? Do you have internal estimates? Internal estimate is for Kyrie Irving. I think, let's look at the schedule. So the Nets have two road games coming up at Atlanta, at Charlotte. From what we understand, news out of Barclays today was that Kyrie is still not doing contact drills, though this isn't football. So I don't think that doesn't mean as much. It was literally described as Kyrie Irving has not yet done contact drills, but there's not a ton of contact anyways. It does mean something. It doesn't mean everything. Maybe the first game is that Sunday game a week from today, home game against the Nuggets. Though I would guess that, I mean, Friday at at the Hornets also is a nice cushy spot to come back and play basketball. And that's enough time to where we understand there's been some progression. So maybe just one more game at the Hawks, and then it's at Charlotte, Kyrie comes back. Karis LeVert, I think we're waiting. I think Karis LeVert is a 2020 thing, right? It may be, he may not come back for, until this upcoming year, like the next year that is upcoming. We're waiting on your uh, documentary about thumb ligament injuries. <laughs> Speaking of which, are we gonna, when are we going to see the Achilles doc? I did uh, speak to one of the best known uh, NBA players to have suffered an Achilles tear. Nah. Yes, sir. Um, so it's going to be pretty good. And actually, you're not even going to drop the name. There's a list of guys you could think about who have suffered wow. Achilles tears that aren't Kevin Durant. Wow. I didn't get Kevin Durant, though. I'm efforting. Um, uh, so just 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 go through the list of people who suffered Achilles, and it's not Kobe Bryant. So it's not Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant, but there's other people who, who are well-known in the industry who've had uh, Achilles tears. And I had that person, talked to that person for a good while and got a lot of good insight. So nice. that, that will drop also in 2020. Um, it'll come out well, before the next Avatar movie. I can guarantee that. Perfect. Um, any other Nets thoughts, feelings, vibes, ideas that you had? I had one more thing if you didn't have anything that came readily apparent to you. Um, no, I'm good. Go ahead. Shoot. There is a crisis, Brian. Wow. In Nassau County. Okay. The Long Island Nets are one and seven on the season. What's going on? Something in the water out there. Dude, they won their opener to begin the G League season, the 2019-2020 G League season, and then have lost seven straight. Brian? Do they need... More Theo Pinson. (laughs) (laughs) Should the the Brooklyn Nets be loaning out Theo Pinson and John and Musa to boost the Long Island Nets record? Well, isn't what's like Rodian's doing? He should be having a quadruple double down there. I cut it. So I think he had like 16, four and four or something in their The the Nets played today. I think it was or last night. That's not the special. You want those those Toko (laughs) Shingalia 30, 35, 20 and 20 games. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Let me ask you also, Brian. Please. The Long Island Nets, I think, got to the G League Finals this past season, this last season that happened, the 2018-2019 season. I think I'm right about that, right? They they lost. They had to play their games at Stony Brook because mm. the 
the arena in Uniondale was being used otherwise. What changed in between the 2018-2019 season and the 2019-2020 season? I'll tell you, Brian. Yeah. Kyrie Irving became a Brooklyn Net. He's infected the culture of this team to such a degree that the Long Island <laughs> Nets are now 1-7, going from the near mm. pinnacle of the G League to the bottom of the G League. Wow. It's an absolute crisis in Nassau County. Are you worried? <clears throat> um, yeah, as a... Actually, did we get any of our players from our own G League team? The one, I mean, like, uh, like Karis never really played down there. Spencer was in Chicago when we picked him up. Um, I mean, like, so if John and Musa becomes a thing, yeah, Musa would be the only one. Like, he played significant minutes with the G League team. Um, Nawaba, no. Garrett Temple, obviously, no. You know, so like, but like John and Musa, if he becomes a guy, he will be the G League Long Island Nets set success story. Um, besides Mitch Creek, Mitch Creek will always be the success story. I mean, and what's your level of, uh, how sold are you that Zonin is going to be a guy? I, I'm feeling, obviously I'm feeling way better than I felt, uh, preseason because preseason, I thought he was like, like going to be an absolute nobody. And I do like him out on the court. I'm with you. We're like, I'd rather him be playing more minutes than Theo Pinson. I think the reason why Theo Pinson does though, is because of energy and activity. And I think they feel like. Kenny Atkinson, the coaching staff, and Sean Marks and everyone else, they probably feel like the thing that they need out of this team is more likely to come from Theo Pinson in the long run than, than Musa. Like, Musa can be helpful, um, and maybe he could be that spot-up shooter with some size in terms of height, but I think they would like like another guard who can handle the ball who also has some shooting prowess. And that is more Theo Pinson than Musa. Musa's like does handle the ball, but he's not uh, fast or all that crafty with it. So I think they want more Theo Pinson. And Theo Pinson will be a success story if he ends up actually playing better basketball, which may happen. So that's that's that. So <laughs> that's it. That's it. Um, that is that. But let's, Captain Marvelous, I, I see you, but you know, I don't know. What do we think? I mean, is the uh, here's my thing about Dan and Musa and Theo. They need to figure out who they want to be on the court starting pretty soon. Yes, and and they're a little bit in between. They haven't found their their core identities. Um, let's cut it off here, Bri. <clears throat> oh, okay. Well, you getting knocked on for yeah for I, something. I, I got to knock. I got to get out of here. But you know, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate oh, it. On your, well, thank you for having me on your show. <laughs> Um, um, where can they listen to us, Brian? Oh, you know, anywhere where you get, everyone knows where to get podcasts. Now, right. I use Google podcasts, you know, personally. Um, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you all for listening. <laughs> this was, uh, uh, an exemplary po- podcast, a plus. And if you feel that way yourself, you can go to iTunes five stars. We need them. We want them have to have them. All those things. Thank you all for listening. Um, okay. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, boy! Yeah.